1: I'm Kathy Worthington and welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today we have a special guest with us, Sudabe Mokri. Sudabe is a speaker, transformational coach, and spiritual healer and owner of Emerge Hypnosis. And I'm Mary Elkins. Sudebay
2: is the author of Angel Nightingale, which tells her whole story. And she's a certified angel intuitive practitioner and a registered nurse with over 30 years of experience in many healthcare settings.
1: I discovered sudabe on my favorite new audio social network platform, Clubhouse, where she gives her time hosting and guiding a club on Saturday evenings called Create, manifest emerge and manifesting with angels is the room on clubhouse clubhouse welcome suda Bay.
3: thank you so much um kathy and thank you mary i am honored and appreciate you giving me a chance to just chit chat with you guys <laughs> well welcome we're so happy to have you here
2: so you were born and grew up in iran Can you please share your story of your beginnings there and what life was like for you as a young person? And also
3: how did that affect the person you are today? Uh, Thank you, Mary, that's a great question. Uh, Yes, I uh, grew up in Iran. I was the oldest of four children. Uh, I had three brothers. Uh, My father uh, was a business, he had a business and worked for government uh, taking going places uh, for agricultural and business in that and um, and my mom was a teacher she was a very strict teacher and uh, they were um, amazing people they were really loving and generous and um, we we well, were a spiritual uh, family, and we were middle class. We weren't rich or millionaire. And sometimes people say, oh, you're from Iran. Did you, you know, are you a millionaire or you came here with lots of money? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in my, in our family, um, education was very important, especially since my mom was a teacher. Um, I grew up uh, as the oldest um, of four And for my perception, I felt that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't smart enough. Partly was because my mom, the way that she communicated with us was instead of saying, you have the potential to be better, she would say it. And, you know, uh, we always say parenthood is not like, you know, comes with a manual. We don't know how to do that. We just learn as we go. So instead of saying that I had the potential to be better, she would say, "Why can't you be better? Oh. Why don't you get better grades?" So for her, like a uh, grade A was not good enough; it had to be always A plus. And I understand that a part of it was because of the way that we perceive ourselves. And she wanted me, honestly, to be better and have a, have a better life than what she had. So that's uh, made me to feel like I wasn't good enough, and I didn't feel I belong. I am the shortest of my family. <laughs> I am about four <laughs> ten, and oh. everybody in my family they were uh, tall, and they were over five foot, five six, five seven, five ten, five eleven, and and I looked at them, and my perception was, um, I am I am not part of the family. I am not beautiful. I am not good enough. So that was my little mindset of growing up. I wanted, when I was a kid, um, when people would ask me, what do you want to be grow up? I always say, I want to be a teacher or I want to be a doctor. Well, my mom was a teacher, but I had no idea where the doctor came to me. And um, when uh, my father passed away, when I was 13 years old, And the idea of being a doctor was really growing in more and more because I wanted to save people because my father had a heart attack and I didn't want anybody to go through that. Um, Also, when I lost my father, it was the beginning of a journey, long journey with depression for me because of all the limiting thoughts that I and the beliefs that I had about my worthiness, my self worth. When um, I um, graduated from high school, it was the time that the revolution took place um, in Iran and the crazy government came and they wanted to change, you know, everybody. They want everybody to follow and believe their ideology of a very radical Islamic group that they were. And I uh, couldn't pass the um, entrance exam for the medical school, and my mom's passion always was to be a nurse. So when I couldn't do that, and she said, why don't you just go, you know, choose the uh, nursing, And so that way you can be close to what, you know, you, you feel like helping people. Um, When I was and I did, I uh, attended nursing school and it was one year after the revolution took place and then the government decided that they wanted to close all the um, colleges and universities to expel all the teachers, the student that didn't follow them. And uh, it was in that uh, when um, it was a peaceful demonstration when I got captured and I was tortured and beaten into a coma. Oh, Awful. Mm. Um, Yes, I was in coma for about a week, and my family even didn't know where I was. And then I woke up, and then uh, the trauma of what I had seen and what I had experienced took me to uh, more and more of feeling withdrawn and feeling depressed. I met my um, husband. About a year before, and um, my mom, my none of my family agreed to us getting married. But we were together for about like three years, not living together, but we were just dating. And one, the, we finally decided, you know, because my mom didn't want us to see each other or anything. We thought we thought that the best way thing would be for us to get married. And finally, long the story short, um, I got married. We um I went uh, back to nursing, I completed my got my degree working as a nurse. Um, I we had our first child, my son, and uh, uh, I was pregnant with my second uh, child. My son was about four and a half years old and my daughter, I was seven months pregnant with my daughter when because we both were still activists, my husband said, um, I cannot stay in Iran any longer and I have to, you know, escape. And he had a brother and a sister in uh, Portland, in America. And so we sold everything we had and he escaped from Iran. It took him a while to finally be able to um, arrive here and join his family. Um, But it took me because I had to stay back because I was pregnant um, one year, two years, three years. And my family said, um, I don't think that he's willing uh, to take you back to America. I mean, how long does it take for someone? You know, you are his wife, you have kids. And I had to work um, 15 days in a row, one day off, 15 days in a row, because I had to support my children. I didn't have anybody to take care of my um, family. And I was living with my mom and my brothers. And so finally... My um, younger brother, he was about a year and a half younger than me. And he said, you know what, what I can do is I am gonna go get my passport because we didn't have American embassy at that time. I am gonna take you and the kids to Turkey so you can get your, uh, you know, maybe they can, they see you, they feel sorry for you and they let you to go, you know, join your husband. How long can you wait? And he was working on his passport. He was married. They had a four and a half year old son and his wife was seven months pregnant. Exactly the same situation when my um, husband left me and my brother died in a car accident. Oh, I know, it's just overwhelming, <laughs> huh? It was really overwhelming. And uh, you can imagine that I lost all of my hope. Not only the hope of coming to America, but the shame and the guilt of how can I live and leave my family behind? My mom lost her son. My um, nephew is not going to have the father. My sister-in-law was pregnant. Uh, long story short, my uh, husband felt sorry for me <clears throat> and uh, said, well, I have a friend in Turkey. Why don't you get your you know, everything? Go to Turkey, stay with this friend and then you can come. And it's all in the book, in the books, I have two books. Uh (laughs) It's all in the books that what happens and I finally was able by a couple of months and come to America. And when I came here, I found out that my family was correct and he was already with somebody else and didn't want me.
1: Yeah, and I was gonna ask you about coming to the US and what that transition felt like and meant to you. And, um, because obviously, you didn't speak the language either when you got here.
3: No, I when I came here and found out that he didn't want me, I was heartbroken. He's <laughs> just uh, the <laughs> little to say. And um, I thought, well, I don't have any family. I don't have any friends. I couldn't speak the language. I didn't have any money, and I didn't know what honestly what to do and i was like i mean how much any you know one person can tolerate and i literally at that time i thought my i was doomed to suffer and uh, have the um, live live a life that filled with challenges and struggles so i decided well i have lost everything and i decided my kids they have their father they have their uncle they have their aunt they have their cousins Uh, I am not, I don't matter anymore and and life is not worth for me to live. So I decided to end my life. And of of course I, I failed that too. I, um, thank goodness. Yes. Yes. And coming out of that situation, I thought, okay, this must be either a really, really horrible joke or God has a different plan for me. And I thought I have survived so much. And before that, when I was in Iran, it was I survived eight years of war between Iran and Iraq. And I was a nurse and I took care of people that they were civilian, they were soldiers and all of those things. I said, I have survived a lot. So I am not gonna feel like I am a victim. We, for some reason, somewhere deep within within me, and i thought well i am a survivor so i'm not going to go back to iran because you know i already experienced what is waiting for me a long time of misery i'm going to stay and figure out how um, i can survive and one day my husband you know came to pick up the kids And I was so excited, I said, you know what? I'm gonna go back to school. I'm gonna learn how to speak the language. And I love being a nurse. I had 10 years um, experience in nursing. I am gonna go um, and become a nurse here. And he laughed at me, he mocked me. And he said, the closest that you are gonna come to working in a hospital is by cleaning the toilet. And that was the fire that I needed in my God, I said, okay, we'll see. And that, that was the reason that I just kept going. And I'm like, no. And when we decide and we choose the path, that it is our true path, uh, it is our mission. It is our life purpose. God universe whatever that we believe in and um, angels they intervene and the doors opens up all the doors I mean my neighbors come like who are you what is your name where are you f- where did you come from and I would just with that little English that you know we gesture and everything we would talk and like this is who I am this is my story and they will help me. Well, I can help you. I can do the groceries for you. I can take you to places and show you the places. I went to school to learn English and my um, teacher, like, who are you? What is your story? I said what it is. And like, you were a nurse in Iran? Well, we have a nursing program. You can go, let's just go talk to advisor. Um, And I never said no. One of the thing that when We are always in a place that um, there are signs everywhere. There are people to come to rescue. Sometimes we sit down and we pray and pray and the people are here and say, this is your path. And we choose not to take the actions because we are fearful, because we are scared, because we don't trust ourselves when we don't trust the answer is really the only way for us to reach, to go to the other side.
2: Oh, that's very inspiring. And um, your book entitled Angel Nightingale, amongst the two books, um, is a very compelling tale of your life, both in Iran and here in the U.S. Tell us about how you came to write it and the process of writing, what did you do it while you were studying to be a nurse or later or
3: tell us? Uh, good question, Mary. Um, the, I, I went to school, to, back to school, and I graduated within less than three years from nursing school while I was learning English. And uh, I found a job. I worked two jobs. I bought my brand new home a brand new car, the things that I never thought was possible for me, that little girl, that little shy girl from Iran and being so powerful and doing all kinds of things. And the kids grow up and I was miserable. I had everything in material world and I was miserable. I was depressed. I lost my identity. My identity was being somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, somebody's wife, somebody's mother, nurse, and kids grew up and they didn't need me and I lost myself once again. And um I went to my doc- doctor and I said I um I don't I am thinking of ending my life again. And she said, I want to, um, you have to go to a hospital. We have to admit you. I said, hey, I came here voluntarily. I didn't come here to go to hospital. Help me. So she put me on antidepressant and I started therapy and I didn't like therapy actually. I didn't, I don't like, I am a private person. You know, it's really funny for somebody that put her life in a book says I'm a private person, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I said, no. I I didn't like the therapy to talk, talk about what my mom did, what my husband did. and uh, I said, I asked um, God to show me the way once, one more time again. And I came home from work and I would turn on TV and there was Oprah talking about Louise Hay, talking about all these big spiritual gurus. And and I went and bought every book. And I bought the books and I read, and I went and traveled and um, attended seminars And then there was a time that I said, I know all of these things. What am I going to do with them? Okay, God, I need a teacher. And the teacher arrived. You know, when the student is ready, the teacher comes, arrives. Uh And I worked with that teacher for about a year, one-on-one. And she showed me the way, actually, uh, through meditation, through hypnosis, guided imagery. And I found out that I have the gift of healing. I can um, connect with, the, with God, with divine source, with angels. And they help me to uh, transmit this healing energy from the source to people. And I thought, I am in my 40s and I have never done any of this. How am I gonna use this energy healing? I had no idea. So, and again, I asked, okay, uh, show me the way, what am I gonna do with this energy healing? So I was working night shift in a hospital and I was having uh, patients that they were actively dying. They were really, really sick. They were hooked to the monitors and everything. And I would go to their rooms and I felt, I would feel that the energy of the room just changed. It would become cooler and I will feel, I, I don't see it. I just feel it, I'm a feeler. and I could feel that there is somebody, some presence in the room and I knew that they were angels with me from my feelings and uh, I would say well I don't know what to do but I would just do a prayer I said please God angels whoever is here with me please help me so I can help my patient because they were in agony they were in pain their breathing was you know difficult and I would put my hands on them and I would tell them like you know, I am here and the angel's here and there is no fear and you can trust. And if you are ready, I give you permission to go. And that was the thing that I would intuitively knew what to say. And that was the first thing I had no idea, where does it go? And I helped those patients to transition to the other, uh, time, other side with dignity and peace, and um, th- there was no pain, they would uh, transition with less than twenty-four hours. And that's how I practice. And my coworkers like Sudabe, what are you doing with your patient? You go in the room, and they are so quiet because they could, you know, they could see on the monitor how they would just their whole being would change, and they will become calm, and um, you know, they didn't have any pain. And I said, well, I have no idea what I'm doing, to be honest with you, but this is what I'm practicing. And uh, words went you know, around and people asked and people um, came to my life and everybody like, how did, you, how did you do that? I said, well, this is my story. And when people knew about my story, I said, oh my God, you should write a book. <laughs> like, who am I to write a book? <laughs> you speak the language i have never even you know written a book in in my own language and the thought of writing the book is just lasted about like good 15 years and then it was the time that i um learned to trust myself and have more faith of the way that you know i am channeling this uh, great energy from the source from the creator and I have I found my mission and my life purpose that the reason I'm living and breathing and I'm here in America is to share my story so people can connect so people know that they are not alone in that journey of feeling stuck feeling overwhelmed feeling depressed feeling alone and I thought okay how am I gonna do that and some people say well you know hire a ghostwriter. I said no If I am going to write the book, I want to write the book because I need to be, not that people that use ghostwriter is a bad thing, but I wanted to, you know, feel that this is what I accomplished on the top of everything. And because I had faith, I went and took a lot of classes, uh, writing classes and everything. And I um, said, okay, I'm ready for a good editor. And I found that one of the most wonderful editors, so compassionate, so loving. And it took me two years to write my first book, Angel Nightingale. And um, then I said, okay, it's ready. It's ready. And everybody that read the book and they become inspired, not because of who, um, I was and who I became is because of all these stories, because I share the stories of my patients as well, how I helped, you know, not only my patients, some of them that transition and some of them just, you know, said, you know, if the spirit is not ready to transition, we wake up and like, okay, I want to eat breakfast. And those are the beautiful uh-huh. stories that they are in, in that my first book.
1: Yeah, I love the book. I read the book and it was really lovely.
3: Do you know what
2: you do now because you said that you didn't know what you were doing at first
3: and now do you know is there a process do you know what you do yes exactly i i am doing a lot of things um um i learned about uh, i call it integrative therapy modalities so i um went uh, to school and learned i i am a certified hypnotherapist and nlp practitioner I went and got my certification in being angel intuitive practitioner. I learned about the guided meditation and all of those things. I um, integrate uh, Western and Eastern medicine, I should say. I do not diagnose, I do not treat um, any patient because I'm a nurse. This is not the scope of my practice, but in my healing in uh, practice, in my um, private practice, I use integrate um, hypnosis and I use a channeling and connecting with the source. So, um, my, the way that I practice hypnosis and hypnotherapy with my clients is different than mainstream hypnotherapy because I connect and I go with whatever that client needs while I am uh, holding a safe space for them to, um, have these, um, healing energy to go to them. Also, I, Uh, use the words that they are need to hear so they can let go of the past because we cannot heal unless we let go of the past uh, beliefs, past thoughts and past energy. I always say this, we are like a container. Like if you think about the cup, a glass that we pour water in it, if there is the old energy is like a mud, it's like a mud in that cup. It doesn't matter what kind of the best... uh, quality water we pour in that cup there is a still mud in the in the cup so how i work with my clients is just the first week we just let go of all the mud all the dirt all the past and in a way that it is you don't have to go sit there like my mom did this my husband did this my grandma whatever i just go and do the um Healing session with with hypnosis and get rid of the clutters before we go the next session and bring the healing. And I have a session for connecting inner child and merging inner child because as we grow up, we leave that poor child hopeless and helpless, and because we have to grow up. So, there are several ways that I work with my clients, and I'm using all the uh, yeah, integrative therapy modalities that is energy healing, hypnosis, using aromatherapy, essential oils, and combination of everything depending on. Of what the individual needs. I hope I answered your question.
1: That's very thorough answer. Thank you. And tell us a little bit about what it means to be an angel intuitive practitioner and how you found out about angels.
3: Yes, I uh, learned from um, Hay House and Louise Hay. Um, she was my hero, of course. And uh, uh, my teacher, I learned uh, a lot of um, uh, connecting with angels. Angels from the authors that wrote a lot of books, and I um, attended a lot of seminars from Hay House with those authors. How to connect with angels? Uh, we all have angels. The way that it is that we are born, when we are born, from when uh, before we are born in the spirit world, and, and the, I am not trying to change anybody's mind with that. This is what I believe and that we are a spirit in physical forms. And when we are in that spirit world, we, um, we, we know the kind of life that we are gonna have, the kind of parents, the kind of family we are gonna born with. And everybody that it comes in encounter in our surrounding, in our environment, in our experience, when we are on earth in this physical form, these are the people that they are, are our teachers. So the angels, when I believe that when God, the creator, whatever that we want to call it, created us, created angels for us, we have uh, at least one to two guardian angels that they are with us from the moment that we are born until the moment that we leave this physical body. Um, But also... And the creator respected us and gave us the gift of free will. That means that even if, if we don't choose, even angels cannot interfere. So the angels, working with angels is helps me to connect with this um, divine source. Sometimes people, because of a certain religion, that they are, we learn that we cannot, we are not good enough or you're not worthy enough to connect directly with, with the source, with God, the source that we call with the creator with god so these angels are with us so we they can communicate on a more like a they understand our energy because there are many levels of energies to go and many level of vibrations to go to you know become higher and higher and higher so for those we have angels we have different kind of angels guardian angels we have archangels we have seraphim angels and all of these different tiers of angels and I'm not the one that knows about all of them but the one that I know is they are here for us no matter what color of our skin no matter what our sexual orientation no matter uh, the race no matter uh, even it doesn't even matter if we believe in God believe in creator believe in angels they are always here and the only thing that they want to love us to support us to guide us so we can follow our divine life purpose on earth. Well,
2: how do we seek out our own angels and how do we recognize them? Question one. And then I'm curious, what what do you say to skeptics who don't even believe that angels exist?
3: I honestly, if people don't believe in angels, I will send them blessing and say thank you i do not i am not um i don't worship angels and i don't preach about angels what i do is i know that they are here for us and the way that um i i connect with them and i also teach uh, my clients some of them that they come and they want to just specifically learn how to connect with angels i have many workshops and many training that how to meet and connect with your angels, how to utilize the working with archangels. There are archangels that for protections, there are archangels for healing, there are archangels for um, people that they are business owners are singer, they are dancers, they are are, um, um, abundance angels, they are prosperity angels, they are all forms of angels. And if somebody is interested to know more about them, I'd be more than happy to work with them, but I am not here to change anybody's mind. And I, if they come and say, I don't believe it, I say, bless you. Uh, I hope you find what is the best for you and that work for you.
2: Well, tell us a little bit. Thank you, by the way, for that. Um, tell us a little bit about how hypnotherapy works. Um, we did interview another hypnotherapist for one of our episodes. And Kathy and I were very, very interested in following up with that type of therapy.
3: Yes, hypnotherapy is, is just um, what relaxes the mind so we can change what we learned. Um, our mindset uh, forms between uh, b- before the age of six and seven. So there are a lot of things that we pick up from, for example, if I was in a family, I was born in a family that mother and father all all the time um, argue about money. I grew up feeling the limiting thoughts about money and I'm always like chasing money. So that's and subconsciously is some, some of it is really, really, really deep into subconscious mind that we are not conscious about. So when hypnosis comes, for example, if somebody comes and say, um, I am trying to lose weight and I can't, I know, I mean, people know they have to eat good and they have to exercise and they're not lazy. People are not lazy. Um, You know, some people say, oh, you're lazy or you don't want to do it. People want to do it. They just can't because of all this subconscious conscious mind that something was told. I was told I wasn't good enough, for example. I wasn't told or I perceived I wasn't worthy of being in a good relationship. So what I do, one, if somebody good comes, I sabotage that good relationship or I attract all the relationship, the uh, partners that they tell me that I'm not worthy. When my mindset is about unworthiness and it took me 40 years to understand like what do you mean i i of course i deserve it no it was really really deep i de- when the um concept of worthiness comes to my awareness every single day when i encounter with a client when i encounter with my family when i encounter in my job with my boss it is always there so the fact what hypnotherapy does goes and deep within the subconscious mind and removes all the negative thoughts by all the the, uh, repeating constantly the words. And that way the mind, like if I'm like, I am 60 years old and the mind has already changed and like, okay, this is what I know. This is what I believe. And how am I gonna change this? That's what hypnosis comes, by repetition. Hypnosis is about repetition, like, and we go into that deeper relaxation. Like when we are driving and sometimes have you noticed that you drive or like, how am I going to get, how did I get here? And Uh hypnosis, yeah, that's one form of hypnosis. (laughs) It's just being trance-like, right? Or watching TV, that's what advertising works. Why do we go and buy something when we see it on TV? That's hypnosis. Because our subconscious mind is open, we're relaxed, we're watching something, subconscious mind is open and say, okay, let's go buy that. (laughs) Does that make sense?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Extremely good explanation. And I'm also very interested in chronic pain management techniques. And what do you find gets to the root of the problem most often? And does it usually require a combination of treatments?
3: Um, It depends. Uh, For acute pain, like if somebody had a car accident or somebody had a a fall down and fractures in the bone, those acute pains, you know, you have to seek medical intervention. Actually, for any kind of pain, we need to seek medical, um, you know, interventions. That's the first thing that I would say. There are, for chronic pain, there are several reasons for chronic pain. The first thing is, again, it goes to the mind. What do I believe? If I grew up feeling that everybody that encounter tell me that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. And I feel like, okay, I, for me, myself, I have a form of autoimmune disorder. Autoimmune disorder is when the body attacks itself. When I hear from other people I'm not good enough and in my subconscious that I am not even aware of I keep telling myself I'm not good enough I'm not good enough I'm not worthy enough I'm not deserving I'm short I'm, I'm old I'm, I'm young I'm whatever I whatever that enough is when I tell myself that my body I am hit, I am attacking my own cells that's where the autoimmune disease comes And I have been able to have that controlled and not having symptoms because I am able to control my mind. And pain is the same thing. Chronic pain or any kind of pain that is not going to resolve and people always on the pain is because they are, you know, their whole being is being burned with that emotional pain and suffering, the mental pain. The agony, that feeling again about the worthiness, about deserving, about good enough, all of those things. Once I work with the clients and remove all the traumas that they experienced in the past, then they open like, okay, I'm ready for healing. And when it comes about uh, pain, actually, I have greatest stories in my first book, Angel Nightingale, you know, the way that when I was a consultant in California, when I worked and uh, I would go to places to see patients and I would perform um, energy healing on them and guided meditation and their pain, they would say, you know, it was like seven and eight. I I would always and, you know, we would always uh, keep um those documentation that the pain is, what is your pain right now, seven, eight, whatever. And then I will perform the energy healing and guided meditation, and their pain would go to two and three, excuse me, in one session. I had a patient that she was young and she had multiple sclerosis. Every, excuse me, every medication that the doctor would give her, it would affect on some part of her body. And she was seeking other, um, you know, interventions, other uh, modalities. And uh, one of our nurses came and said, "Sudabe, I have a patient that she wants integrative therapy modality and learn about what you are doing. And I was able to work with her and the stories in the book for one whole month while I was teaching her about what other things to do to get her life together. Um, She would say that uh, her uh, comfort level would be, um, would stay there for for the whole week. And it was able, she was able to be independent and be able to walk around and do the thing that we, um, most of us, take for granted. I hope wonderful. I answered your question when it comes to. Yes, wonderful. And any kind of a health issues.
2: Yeah, you're, you're saying in a way to me that um, your thoughts, if they're negative, are like a disease, they attack your cells. And so you can reverse that with your therapy.
3: If your they are willing to, if they are willing to. Ah, okay. Sometimes, and I, and I uh, talk, uh, my my second book, Emerging You, has a lot of tools about, about all of these questions that you are asking. But also I had, uh, when we are in that place of pain, whatever the pain is, or health issues, and I, I am saying it with all the love and compassion in my being because I understand it. We need to be willing to let go of this pain. I remember my um, teachers always say, what is the payoff for this pain? If I am, the mindset says I don't deserve it and I'm not good enough and nobody loves me, and this pain, holding on to this pain, holding on to this illness, Subconsciously, makes people come to me and love me. I do not want to get rid of this pain. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. absolutely. I am saying it in the, in the most compassionate way possible. So how it, do you? Oh, I'm sorry. No, how, go ahead. How do you with the pandemic?
2: How do you? You've obviously worked online, I gather. So how do? You, are you? Starting to work in person now, how did you do energy healing online and the other therapies?
3: Um, Energy healing is energy travels. I mean, right now, there is an energy in that virtual, um, uh, you know, setting as well, because energy travels, there is a energy that, uh, you know, creates, you know, we are phone calls and electronics, everything, they are energy. So I, I when people come to and ask this question they don't come necessarily for energy healing. I do combination of all of those things and the energy that I connect with. I transmit that energy. So I don't have to necessarily put my hands on people to transmit that energy. All I need to do is you know have the my put my attention on channeling and just all I need to do you know when I you can see it that uh, my hands and I can transmit the energy to this but the person that's coming for it they need to be willing to the energy if somebody doesn't believe this and I can I say I am giving you energy healing my um, my hand feels like I'm touching a wall hmm. so there should be is a mutual agreement Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. and I have a different kind of question for you. What do you most like to do for yourself if you ever get some free time?
3: Yes, I love. Uh, I love to write. I love to read. I love to connect with nature. I have a, a beautiful backyard that I always—that's my beautiful place to connect with nature. I have two grandchildren. I love Ooh. my family, so uh, spending time with them. And uh, before COVID, <laughs> I am a dancer. I, I am a ballroom and salsa Latin dancer. So um, I used to compete, you know, dance competition and all of those things. So um, I am I am, and that's what people say. Oh my God, you don't look like your age. It's like because of all those. You know, I put my energy into like dancing and being positive and all of those things because it's not about the age, it's about the energy.
2: It's oh, fabulous. So true. I, love, I that. love that. That's great. And what a great way to close up in a way. Um, we'd like to urge our les- listeners to tune in to Clubhouse at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Saturdays and listen to the room called Create, Manifest, Emerge. In addition to lots of info given and questions answered, Sudebay does a guided meditation.
1: And if you are not on Clubhouse, DM me on... Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington. If you need an invitation to join clubhouse. And for that, I would need your cell phone number to send you an invitation. You can find Sudebay on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. And best of all on clubhouse where you can hear her share her wisdom. Her website is SudebayMokri.com. And that is spelled S O O D A B E H mokr Thank you so much, Sudebay.
2: But I have one more question for you. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we may have missed,
3: such as any advice you'd like to give to our listeners? Um, thank you so much. Uh, the only advice that I have is just believe in yourself and believe in your dreams. And don't let other people say that, no, it's not possible because everything, there is a reason that we have a dream in our in our heart and everything is possible. If I did it, so can you.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to EWN Podcast This
2: podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.
0: Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. Go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.